deep in London's beating heart lies a wall. A locked door it be if you know the call. For if the wall steps aside, be not afraid of what you see. Cause the wizard world is opened up as has the griffin. Hello everyone and welcome to the Shrieking Shack. This is a Harry Potter reread podcast for Laps fans. I'm your host, DC. And I'm Liz. And Liz. We have just finished Twilight. We've, we've, we've finished all of the first novel and its companion novel, Midnight Sun, and now we've watched the film, and I have something to admit uh, mm-hmm. at the top of the show here. This probably has something to do with the fact that this is my first time for the show reading one this in-depth that I, like, something I hadn't read before, right? Right, yeah. But I have had Twilight on my fucking mind all week. like i've just had this epiphany of like oh i kind of get it i get why this was so big i'm just thinking about it all week (laughs) so are you like jonesing to read the next one are you like oh i need to read new moon right now i'm 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 half and half on that because Part of I think what I what I uh, uh, found so delightful about Twilight is it's like completely out of left field ending, and I, I I've heard so much bad stuff about New Moon, especially from 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 you, <laughs> who keeps sending me the like zipped mouth emoji about it. Uh, it is su- it is such a struggle <laughs> to not tell you about what happens in Twilight like that. It, it is it is challenging for me. And, and I mean, there's stuff that I've like absorbed, right? Like we've we've like looked stuff up. We've looked at the wiki. We've looked at, uh, at Stephanie Meyer's website and stuff. So like I, I know bits and pieces, but, I, you know, just having not read any of them. I don't know if I'm jonesing for the next one or if I'm in. Do you ever watch something or read something and you're like, I had a lot of problems with that, but one, there's a core idea of it that like just stay like stays in your mind. And instead of thinking like, well, that sucked and I'm never going to think about it or engage with it again. You're like, that kind of sucked. I'm going to think about how to fix it for like the next three weeks or something, right? Like how I would have done it or something. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's Star Wars, right? But but like, it, it, it's it's wormed its way into my brain in a way that I fully was not prepared for. I think, mm-hmm. and and it's got me curious about uh, some of Stephanie Meyer's other novels, which you've discovered a very fun infographic about. Yeah, yeah, we were we were checking out Stephanie Meyer's website after we have you know finished all that the first Twilight really has to offer for us, and I was kind of scrolling back through her blog and found this post about how she came to write The Chemist, and she had some ideas about The Chemist um, ahead of time, but then uh, a, a catalyst appeared, which was um, the Born Legacy premiering in 2012. Um, <laughs> And in this infographic, we learned that she wrote um, fan fiction of the Born Legacy for a friend, and it was through this fan fiction and writing of it that she realized how exciting writing fight sequences and assassinations are, and that was how the chemist came to be. This is so fun because there, there are so many. This is such a perfect little like detail sandwich in between Twilight and and. Midnight Sun, because Midnight Sun added that whole chase sequence and like fight sequence, right? With with mm-hmm. the tracker. Yep. 
And yeah. it's like, oh, now I know where that came from completely. Uh, it was from watching the really bad Jason Bourne sequel <laughs> where yeah. Jeremy Renner is the secret agent instead of uh, Matt Damon. Um, and he takes a in, in I don't know if you did you ever see that one? The, hmm. the Jeremy Renner Bourne? I don't think so. He's a, he's like a, a test subject super soldier who takes like a magic pill that makes him fight like Jason Bourne. They were like they're like trying to make a pill to turn people into Jason Bourne. Yeah. And and I'm seeing I'm seeing where the chemist ideas are coming from because doesn't that book involve some sort of like super secret soldier serum or something like that i believe so i i hope to find out one day <laughs> yes i at some point i i, I think to, to to like answer your question about about like new moon right it's like i don't know if i'm hankering to read the sequel now but i am hankering to read more stephanie meyer you know at least one more thing just to get a more complete picture totally I'm also really th there's something kind of delightful about the idea that that post being uh, a very successful author, it sounds like she was still writing fanfic. Yep, that's pretty cool. Yeah, she went and saw the Born Legacy and was like, "I'm going to write fanfic about this for a friend." It is interesting. I mean, what she says about here is it here is so cute. Like she says, she went and saw the Born Legacy nine times in the theater. Good um, lord. <laughs> and and like talked to her friend about it and like went and saw it with her friend and then wrote, I decided to capitalize on our mutual passion for Aaron Cross and created a unique birthday gift for her. I wrote fan fiction, my version of the resolution of the Born Legacy. <laughs> Megan also had strep throat during this time. She is not a medical doctor, but swears the book cured her. Oh my god, that's really cute. I I will say watching, I think watching The Born Legacy one time in the theaters nearly broke my brain. Um, <laughs> that is a movie, that is a movie with two acts. It, there is like no, like her saying an imagined version of the resolution to The Born Legacy is really funny to me because that movie has no resolution. It just stops in the second act. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I guess that might have actually I I see where the 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 idea to like write a a fix it might have come from. Yeah. But, but that is so fascinating. I love that. That that is that is genuinely very very charming. Um Twilight's just been on my brain all week, you know, just with watching the movie and, and finishing the book and before we get into talking about the movie, I'd like to sort of like just do a little wrap up check in on 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 twilight at midnight sun like yeah what 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 are how are you feeling after reading midnight sun which was a new thing but still revisiting twilight as like something you read as a teenager um i think that it uh firmed up my feelings about twilight and i have to be i have to be zipper mouth emoji <laughs> about this um but twilight the original had me on the hook and then it sort of, as the series went on, promised that it would get better. Mm -hmm. And it never did, is sort of my takeaway from it. And it was sort of a bummer to go back to Midnight Sun and be like, wow, Twilight really sort of stood alone as, as the book that gets you on the hook and then promises you something that just never happens. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. Because I, I, I think for as many criticisms as as I had with like the introduction of the villains in Twilight, <laughs> like the last third of the book, or the weird way that it engaged with like vampire lore and like like um kind of dismissed all the stuff that had come before without really doing much to build a new thing, right? There, there There's a lot there that it, it, that is frustrating, but is frustrating in the kind of way where, like, when you read something and you know that there's more coming, I can always put a pin in it, you know? Mm-hmm. I can always, I can either, maybe the author is playing a long game here and this is intentionally a little obtuse up, up front, or maybe the author is going to, like, take criticisms of this to heart and and improve on them later you know there, there there's there's a lot kind of in in the air to like kind of soften those those feelings i have towards twilight right mm-hmm. except for the fact that every time i mention that you send me the the, the zipper mouth emoji <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like oh okay i guess they don't <laughs> right right um and uh but 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 i i think that I have a very similar feeling to to what what you're getting at there, which is like I'm having the experience of getting on the hook for the first time, mm-hmm. and I am I am like if I if I put myself in the shoes of like someone in high school reading it for the first time in 2005, I can absolutely see why flaws and all this would have been a very very foundational book for a lot of people. You know, because especially if you're like, if you're like reading it as sort of like your first big book or whatever, when you're when you're like, I don't know, 16, 17, you're in high school, you're around the same age as the characters. You're not. <laughs> I, I I definitely thought I was a lot smarter than I was in high school, but I also wasn't like sitting there going like, hmm, they, they're introducing the character. Me thinks they're introducing the characters a little late in the novel, you know, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> I wouldn't have cared at the time. And, and, uh, I don't know, I, I, like, if I allow myself to sort of just, just put, put, put myself back in time, I, 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 I get it. The, the book is, the book is very flawed, but it's, it, it grips you with, you know, there, it's, it's undeniably like a fun romance with a relatable and fairly, uh, well-rounded main character narrating it. And I think that that's just like, you know, that's a recipe for success. Yeah, it was fun to revisit it and find what there is to like there, because I think it's really easy to sort of fall into this, like, feeling that it gets you on the hook, but it's really hard to find anything good to say about it. Yes. I think that's still true. I think it's way easier to tear Twilight apart than Mm -hmm. it is to find good things to say about it. Yeah, and and I think, to be clear, like... If you were to ask me to, like, assign, like, a letter grade or star rating or something to Twilight, it would probably end up pretty low still. Mm-hmm. And, and And it has so, I mean, it has so many problems, right? Like, it is, uh, it, it, it is nonsensical, it is meandering, it is long, it is racist, it has, it has a lot of, 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 of problems plaguing it. It is it is so interesting to read it and and finish reading it now and think back to what I was hearing about it 
as it was coming out and the criticisms people had them and then and the criticisms that we sort of like dug into with some of our earlier third segments in the twilight episodes mm-hmm. uh where where it was just mo- you know it was like mocked for being for girls and that's bad um or you know guys who read it are gay or uh oh bella is obsessed with 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 edward and that's bad you know just just this this the stuff that i have been bludgeoned with by pop culture for a right. decade and a half none of that really makes my checklist of the stuff i criticize about twilight i have a lot to say with like how it treats its native characters i have a lot to say about how it like structures a a plot <laughs> the plot is bad <laughs> <laughs> in a, in like its most basic form it it fails to to like to construct a, a cohesive plot and like the the problem is is that i i i do need to check myself from from uh excusing any of those criticisms too readily because if there's one thing i know about twilight it's that those things get worse and not better yeah, yeah, because it kind of sat in this interesting spot where it's like the easiest book to tear apart in the world. Mm-hmm. And and so if you have some sort of ulterior motive to do it, it's like easy to to take it down. But but yeah, it had the um, both the it's bad because it's for girls, but also it's like it's bad for the girls because they're they just don't know any better. <laughs> And Edward's yes. abusive. I mean, I now looking at Twilight content online, I just keep getting that fucking like YouTube recommendation for the like relationship therapist reacts to Twilight movie that came out like this year. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, I hate to break it to you. I don't think that Twilight invented having like fantasies about like a really hot, dangerous guy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's it's it, I, I think my number one thing that I keep coming back to with Twilight, and it's something we've talked about extensively in, in the episodes themselves, but like it is unfortunate that it was Twilight that blew up the way it did. And I don't mean that as like a slight against Twilight or Stephanie Meyer, but what I mean is that it's like there are so many Twilights, <laughs> pre-Twilight, post-Twilight, go to the bookstore go to the romance section, go to the go to the fantasy section, sci-fi section, you will find 10 million books that deal in the same themes and concepts, deal in uh much darker <laughs> themes and concepts. Um uh it's it's it was just that twilight being thrust into the spotlight the way it did made everyone uh get really really intensely invested in a book that was at the end of the day very middle of the road in terms of like the kinds of like fantasies it was portraying and the kind of romance it was indulging in right yeah i mean i think that's also probably part of why it ended up where it was because like like you said you can find a million twilights and you can find twilights that um are trading in like way either like darker versions of this or like more explicit content, et cetera. But this is such a like clean version of Mm -hmm. that, that I think it tantalizes people without being like objectionable. Yeah. And I think that, that, that also kind of put it in an interesting position because we've, we've talked before about how Twilight was sort of pulled in, in multiple directions by, by 
public criticism too mm-hmm. because the other end of it is like oh it's you know it's it's so chaste it's such a christian novel right it's such a uh it, you know it's a it's a pro abstinence and, and whatever romance novel and it's like that's true for sure um but i gotta say after reading it that kind of only made it more interesting honestly mm-hmm. <laughs> I, everything about about bella and edward's relationship and like what makes like like what makes edward compelling as a romantic object really is at odds with it as a abstinence fantasy i i I don't think it would be twilight without that you know like it is a very interesting story it makes it feel like there's some sort of like primal element that is bursting forth (laughs) perhaps supernatural or vampiric right yeah yeah, I don't know. And like, what about Midnight Sun as a as like a? Do you do you think? I guess the way I, I'd rephrase this question is: Do you think like revisiting Twilight through Midnight Sun changed anything about how you felt about it, or did it like reinforce how you felt about it revisiting it? I think that it is a bad book. <laughs> really, <laughs> I I think that it has reinforced what a flash in the pan that Twilight was and sh- yeah. and shows exactly why the other books in the series failed for me. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, I think that there was a, a sort of incredible inspiration to Twilight that, that made it so like mass appealing to people and mm-hmm. whatever, whatever that magic was just, couldn't be brought forth again yeah that's so interesting to me because um uh like the the one thing that i do know about new moon mm-hmm. or i guess it's two things that i know about new moon is that it's where it's where jacob becomes a more important character right and he becomes like the rival the rival romantic yep uh uh, uh, uh character and like when you tell me that the sequel to a really steamy romance is a like love triangle story, I'm like, okay, that just sounds like a logical, like, yeah, of course that's what the sequel sequel would be. Surely they would have a lot of fun with that, right? Um, but it sounds like it just never quite captures that same allure ever again, I guess. I don't know if I'm in the minority. This might be where my hottest Twilight takes are, are the mm-hmm. ones I can't talk about because they're about the rest of the series. Because obviously, like, Twilight fans are really invested in the love triangle. They're invested mm-hmm. in Team Jacob versus Team Edward. But at the time, I read Twilight, and and I was I was definitely a not-like-other-girls girl, so I was, mm-hmm. like, kind of kind of the, uh, the shame-reading Twilight, and it... I didn't tell anyone that I was a Twilight <laughs> fan, right? And I read the first one, and then I uh, tried to read the next ones, and I felt like I was going crazy. So I th- that must be where my hot takes are, and I cannot speak to them, and I am I'm so zipper curious. mouth emoji. I'm so curious about it. I, I I do know, just from, like, talking to other people and just, like like, you know, absorbing Twilight stuff online through reading the subreddit and stuff, that I, I know that the... the following books are uh divisive i right like Mm -hmm. um because that was the other thing that i know about new moon is that edward's barely in it um uh Mm -hmm. is the is like the just like the one and i remember that's like a complaint i remember hearing at the time 
Um, and and uh, and I know that the whole fandom generally dislikes Breaking Dawn. I think yes, I could be wrong, but 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 it's I know that Breaking Dawn was very uh, weirdly received. Breaking um, Dawn is a Wattpad ass book. <laughs> Sorry. Does Edward leave a condom at the wedding reception or something? <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Might as well. Oh, fuck. Uh, what I really, I, I, if, if I had unlimited time and money, I would, I, I would fly to the Library of Congress and read the, the copy of, uh, Forever Dawn they have. I, Oh that's yeah. So cool that that's there. I would love to see what that was like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean it I think that Forever Dawn is so interesting because it I I think my like conspiracy theory about it is that I don't I can't imagine that she wanted to write the next like Twilight books. I mean she mm-hmm. wrote Forever Dawn and it was like the fanfic of her own book which is incredible um and then had to drag out the middle chapters for for three books. Yeah. Um, Two I, books or whatever it is. Yeah. 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 No, I. Yeah. It's that that's that's something that has been sticking with me. That, that And that's a question that I won't be able to form any kind of opinion on until I like end up reading more. Um, but the the I, 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 I asked that question last week to the audience about like. Does anyone remember if people thought the ending to the first Twilight was ambiguous, right? Mm-hmm. And I, a few people were saying, yeah, I thought it was, or I remember people thinking it was supposed to be at the time. Right. And I do wonder, I do wonder how much, like, just knowing that Forever Dawn was just written as, like, a gift for her sister, I think it was, right? Yeah. Um, and and the 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 publisher kind of came to her and was like, okay, that sold ten bajillion copies. You need to write some more. I I, I do wonder. Maybe if we read those eventually, there's there'll be some stuff on her blog that's like as candid as some of the other stuff we found. Mm-hmm. You know, um, about like whether whether she had any ideas for that many sequels and so on. Right. Here's what um, I will say. It is mm-hmm. killing me not to tell you what happens in New Moon and what happens in Breaking Dawn, <laughs> and I could not tell you one single thing that happens in Eclipse. I keep forgetting Eclipse exists. Me too. I will, yeah, I because I, because I, I I'm used to uh, trilogies and I'm used to things that are way bigger than trilogies. Four books is a really interesting <laughs> middle ground that I'm not used to for book series. I think. I know there's a ribbon on the cover, and that's about it. It's a ribbon because that okay. So see, that's where that's where I know I've memory hold the, the eclipse like really badly <laughs> is because I could tell you like Twilight's book cover, Apple, easy. Yeah, uh, New Moon's book cover, it's a moon. I'm pretty nope. sure. Nope, it's not. Nope. It's a flower. Fuck. Oh fuck. Okay, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> okay, so so let's go through it. So we've got Apple, we've Apple. got Flower, yep. we've got Ribbon, we've got Chessboard. Chessboard, I remember really, because I remember <laughs> thinking it was a really cool cover. And it sort of made me, like, when I hadn't read Twilight and I was a teenager and, like, those books were coming out, I remember seeing how thick Breaking Dawn was and that it had, like, because it's, like, a chessboard and it's, like, got, if I remember right, it's got, like, 
black and white pieces, but then in the middle, like the focal point, is a red king or a red queen, right? Oh, yeah, because, okay, so there's a white queen in the middle, and it's, like, on a black and white chessboard, and there's a red pawn behind it. A red pawn, okay, okay. So I I remember seeing that cover and, like, just knowing nothing about Twilight, going, holy shit, that looks awesome. Breaking Dawn is a cool title, and that book is thick as fuck. It did would, Was I lied to? Is this not a romance novel? Is it, like, a cool, <laughs> is there, like, crazy like fantasy novel stuff happening in this that makes it need to be this long. And I, I always like looked at it and I was sort of like, that's a, that's a cool looking book. Right. That's very funny that it's, it's just the worst one that everyone hates. Yeah. Yeah. And even, I think that we've talked about this. All you know about it is that nothing happens in it. So they have to invent stuff for the movie. Yes. Literally the one thing, or I guess two things. One, I know that there's like the pregnancy imprinting weirdness in it. And then two, I know that it was so boring as a book. They had to invent a like battle scene for the movie where like two vampire armies run at each other and start chopping each other's heads off. That's all I know, <laughs> which is a really fun detail to like only know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if that's the one thing you know about a movie. <laughs> yeah. And I, 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 Michael Sheen is like the bad guy in that. And that's like the one thing that really makes me want to see them is it's like, I love that guy. I could watch him do anything. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's the main Italian vampire. Oh my god! I hope that he does an Italian accent just like for fun. <laughs> That's he's like one of the best, just like hamming it up guys. You yeah. Know? I fuck. That's see. See now I'm back on board with Breaking Dawn. <laughs> you tell me that there's a vampire who's just like over emoting, and I'm like, I'm there. Hell yes. Absolutely. Speaking of vampires and emoting. Uh huh. I think it's time we started talking about the movie we watched this weekend. Oh, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's talk about Twilight, the first film. Um, uh, I I have a lot of notes for this, but I think just right off the bat, do you want to like just talk about how it was kind of awesome? Yeah, I'm so mad. <laughs> So neither of us had seen it before, right? Like, yeah, yeah, and I'm so pissed off now. You could have had this obsession so much longer ago, you know? <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I only had ever seen the baseball scene, like, passed around as, like, kind of a joke, you know? Yep, yep. Um, and, I, you know, I always thought that that was, like, delightful, but I, I, I just was not prepared to have such a just, like, no strings strings attached good time with this movie. Mm-hmm. Do you think this is the best thing we've watched? Oh, on the whole show? Yeah. Like what compare like Azkaban compares? I guess. <laughs> well, we watched Taylor Lautner's Abduction. <laughs> we did watch Abduction. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want him to fire the big pistol. Fuck. Yeah, that's why it, that's why it falls to second place, but no, mm-hmm. I, I think this is definitely like I, Prisoner of Azkaban might be a better movie, maybe. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking back. Twilight is unequivocally the most fun that I've had watching a movie on the show. Yeah, I I was just really taken aback with how um, 
how whole ass an effort it felt like. <laughs> uh, I think that it makes several choices that I would question. Um, and, and there are a few places where it, it falters with some stuff, but I don't think there is a single thing I can point to and say, um, like this was a bad call or this was a lazy cash in or anything like, like this was a, this movie just feels like a passion project. And like, no matter how wonky one of those can get, you know, it's mm-hmm. just it, it, I would I would rather watch something that has a lot of like effort and heart in it than like something that is very meticulously well put together and was just on an assembly line. Yeah, we watched this movie on Saturday. It is Monday now. I have told two people to watch it since then. <laughs> like in in the context of being like, "Hey, I know that you've probably made fun of Twilight, but have you watched yeah. it cuz it's a great time." <laughs> It's it's just a movie that like it's it's good in in a way where I would just like throw it on and like enjoy it. You know, like it it is right. Th- there's nothing that like gets in the way of me having a good time with it. And I think that I would compare it to like it this is the version to me of the prequel Star Wars movies that everyone pretends exist now, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, they're so boring. And Twilight is just really, really fun. While being, like, equally, I think, as as uh, as as silly and campy. Right. I get very bored during movies. It's one it's it's one of my worst traits. I don't really like movies very much. I don't think I was bored for even one second during this movie. It it helps that this movie moves incredibly quickly. Mm-hmm. Like, like starting at the beginning, we we get a little bit of Bella's monologue, which, by the way, great way to start the movie. Um, it, it's I am now, I, I'm wondering how many people listening to the show had to like bite their tongue. I think it was like last episode or the episode before where I was like, you can't make a movie with uh, with uh, um, like this level of first person narration unless you're really going for it, right? And like, well. That's what Twilight turned out to be. Yeah. Um, like, we we start with, like, the first-person narration from Bella, but, like, we are in Forks within, like, the first 60 seconds, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, we meet Charlie very quickly. We meet Billy very quickly and Jacob. In fact, we meet, like, we, we get, like, the first three or four, maybe five chapters of Twilight, like, within like the first two minutes of this movie. Um, and, and it doesn't feel rushed really this stuff. Um, uh, I, I, it just does a really smart job of compressing a bunch of stuff into very short scenes or sometimes like overlapping them on top of each other. Mm-hmm. Cause like Charlie gets home with Bella and she's just sort of monologued about how like, Oh, it's really, it's really foggy and forks. And we get, like, a few shots of just establishing forks. And then she gets out of the car, and the truck is there, and Billy and Jacob are waiting, and we just establish every single one of these characters' relationships to each other, and, like, the opening credits are still on the screen. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's really cool. It's 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 efficient, and I think it's just, like, that's when I realized that this was going to be a more interesting movie than I really 
had bargained for because I, 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 I think that it just very smartly identifies what is important about each moment of the book and like finds things to, uh, like, like, like it's like connecting dots, you know, um, uh, between moments to create a much more layered feeling story. Um, it's giving you the same information in like a tenth of the time that the book does. Yeah, I mean, it must be like almost surgical the way it like pulls out what is important out outside of like Bella's constant monologue, right? But it gets to set the mood because it's a movie um, instead of having her monologuing constantly, right? Yes, yeah, and 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 it also. Um, like it, it trusts the audience with some like visual cue stuff as well too. Like you pointed out something um, in the opening montage that I that I really liked, which was uh, that Bella brought a cactus with her, mm-hmm. and 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 they never talk about it. It's there's no scene where she's like like oh I brought this cactus to remind me of home or whatever. But like she she just has this little little cactus that she brought with her from Arizona to like to like decorate her room with and it's there kind of like the whole way uh uh, uh through this like like travel montage at the beginning and and i think by including that they basically shaved like 20 paragraphs of monologuing off the book right like perhaps bella is a little prickly as well, mm, yeah. There, there, there's just smart stuff like that everywhere, and we'll, we'll get to some even better ones later with like the Cullens and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, but it, it just, it just does such a great job of creating this first impression and like, um, establishing the characters. I, I love. Um, that we, you know, I, I had been raving all through our book episodes about how much I love Billy and Charlie Mm -hmm. and we get so much Billy and Charlie in this movie. Yeah. They're so good together. They're so much fun. Um, uh, they're, they're just immediately bantering about the truck. Um, Jacob is there and like, there's a fun little interaction between him and Bella, um, that like. They have in the book, but I I, I think just it, it it's a little smoother here. This conversation they have what, that establishes that like they sort of know each other, um, and that uh, he's he, you know he doesn't go to the same school that she does. It establishes that like him and Billy live on the res, um, and then we're like we're off to the next thing, right? It just it's it's like and this is like two minutes of movie, mm-hmm. um. um and then we're at school, and and this is the thing that I I I really want to want to talk to you about um, is is especially because you've read Midnight Sun and you got like way more school stuff. Yeah. How did you feel about like the 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 movie's version of the school? Um, I think it's wild that Stephanie wrote Midnight Sun. Well, I guess she might not have written the part in Midnight Sun with Mike Newton after the movie, because she wrote Midnight Sun, like the beginning really early. Um, But my like Midnight Sun coming out so late after the movie, I'm like, I can't believe that it picked on Mike Newton so much because seeing this vision of Mike Newton really as just like a 16 year old dork, I'm like, Stephanie, come on. (laughs) It did such a good job with all of those characters. And and there's also one 
in the movie that I I I don't remember ever being mentioned in Twilight, but is mentioned in that cut Midnight Sun. Or not not it wasn't cut in Midnight Sun, but it was um uh the the scene in, in Midnight Sun with um Eric. Eric, yeah. And Comic Con, right? Yep. Um, cause I, I didn't get that at all. And, and we get, we get Eric in Midnight Sun the book, but like, uh, Eric is a new character in this film who is like the first of the, of like the friend group that Bella meets as she is like going to school for the first time in the movie. Mm-hmm. And all of these kids that they are introducing have like 10 times their personality they have in the book. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely do. They're really fun. Um, they're really fun. And and they're all total, like, high school movie archetypes, right? Like, Eric is the nerd, but he's, like, sort of an overconfident nerd. We have Anna Kendrick as Angela, which freaks Jessica. me the fuck out every time I saw her. It's very <laughs> funny. It's so funny. I, I was just like, is that fucking, is that Anna Kendrick? And it, it turns out it was. Anna Kendrick um, and those... Those very long shirts that we all had in 2005. Why were the shirts so long? The very long shirts and, like, the really thin cardigans. Yep. The, it, yeah, because it was, like, the really long camisole that went, like, all the way yes. over your butt. And then the, like, short cropped camisole over the top of the long shirt. What was up with that? There's so much in this movie. That that That, that, that is another thing that is very fun about this movie is, is what a... What a mid two thousands time capsule it is. Mm-hmm. Um, like the wardrobe. I mean, like like Eric, the 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 kid who who I who like greets Bella for the first time, who's like the new character. Um, he is also just so powerfully mid two thousands high school kid. Like he's yeah. got he's got like the layered bowl cut, and he's got um he's like wearing is he, I think he's wearing like a vest. Over like a dress shirt, <laughs> which is yeah. something I definitely did when I was like sixteen. You know, just like really, really, really fun two thousands. Like, oh boy, wow, that that wasn't that long ago, but it feels like a fucking eternity ago. Oh my gosh, f- there's the waitress that has oh like the super. Because it was the other thing. You either had a long shirt or you had like super low rise jeans and like a cropped shirt with one of those like thick black belts with the grommets in them. <laughs> <laughs> I think didn't she have a bedazzled top too? Oh in that yeah, se- yeah. Like the the bedazzled sequin tops and and that one was really funny too because that's in the Italian restaurant scene mm-hmm. and. And she's also got a. They made a very funny choice with that to give her like a, like rockabilly haircut. Yeah, know? which which makes me think that at the time you would have seen that and been like, oh, are they in like a fifties themed restaurant or something? Mm-hmm. But but coupled with everything else, also looking very old. Um, with her clothing, it's like it it creates this really weird like oh this is like a it's weird seeing a retro era's retro outfit you right. know yeah <laughs> it's like Inception levels down several levels down on like oh god this is getting too too retro for me. <laughs> 
Uh, and you, oh, and, and, and this is another thing that I think is very interesting about, uh, about this movie that is a real breath of fresh air is they have a very diverse cast in this compared to like what the book tells you about. Oh yeah. We just have like a, a much nicer portrait of like a school in Washington, uh, than the book really gives us. <laughs> it was very, it was really refreshing to see because these characters are such fucking nothing in the book, right? Like. It took it took Midnight Sun fleshing out like Angela and 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 uh, Edward's bizarre gift quest for her to yep. give any of these people anything to do, and and just by like making some casting decisions and giving these characters just even even the barest of like s- school like 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 school archetypes just really makes the school stuff much more fun to watch and also has the byproduct of making Bella seem like that much more of an, a weird asshole. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cause she's horrible to all these people. <laughs> yeah. One of her first lines, is like telling, um, telling Eric that she's like a loner. She just wants yes. to be by herself. She she tells Eric she's a loner. Like Eric mentions, I, I I like like Eric is like, oh, I'm in the the school newspaper. I'm gonna write an article about like the new the, you know the new students this year. And Bella is just like, do not write a fucking article about me. <laughs> like, just, just immediately jumping down his throat about this. There's a really uh, fun bit in the most important scene at the beginning of the school stuff where the Cullens show up for the first time, which I think is really where the movie actually starts Mm -hmm. because the movie has been moving at like 800 miles per hour until this moment. But while Angela is explaining who the Cullens are, you know, like they're walking in in slow motion. They're all dressed in white. They're all impossibly beautiful. And like Angela is like, kind of matching the energy of the visuals in this moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like, you know, just it's just like like really, really over the top music. There's slow-mo. The light is hitting them in a really dazzling way. And and Angela's going like, oh, they're impossibly, you know, they're they're the most the coolest and most attractive people at the school. And there's this great cut to Bella who's like, she does like this little like fake gag while Angela's talking. <laughs> Which is a really fun detail, and again, just really does a great job of establishing who she is. Until, of course, she sees Edward and realizes that he mm. is actually the, the the hottest vampire on Earth. Beautiful. Uh, there's also a very fun bit in the uh, in in the Cullen's introduction where Angela is sort of like explaining who all of them are, where the movie acknowledges how weird the like. Uh, Jasper and Rosalie stuff is, and the, yeah. and, and and Alice stuff is. Uh, I wrote the line down. What is it? Uh, she calls Carlisle foster dad slash matchmaker. Yeah, and then says, uh, "I'm not even sure that's legal." When she when it like cuts to, <laughs> ja- I think it's Jasper and Alice holding hands or something. Uh, and they just look ridiculous. They it's look absurd so in this funny. like high school cafeteria. They're wearing like all white denim, I think, in this scene. <laughs> <laughs> they look like the Backstreet Boys. The, the craziest music is playing at the same time. I love this track that plays when they walk in. It's it's so good. Like like there's 
this was the I I think that like this sequence at the first day of school is where we sort of both realized that we were like not in for what we were really expecting. <laughs> um because like there's there's that whole sequence there's there's the joke that Angela adds to the script about like how it's just wow I like you know this is crazy he's like a foster dad slash matchmaker I'm not even sure that's legal and then there's the the science class scene where uh uh Edward sees Bella and they like look at each other and like the craziest guitar solo is playing. <laughs> And he like bites his knuckle or something. Yeah. Like he, he just starts behaving like a dog in, in, in this <laughs> in this scene with like this 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 wild guitar wailing playing as it like cuts between him and Bella. And it it, it just just fully not what I was expecting. Committing to an aesthetic that I, I think is is really, really fun for yeah. Twilight. Yeah, I think that the scene is made fun of a lot. And it's one of those things where I think that when people make fun of it, they think they're being really smart and are in fact not seeing that we're kind of laughing with it, not really at it. Yes, there I I think that um there's a lot in this movie that really feels like it is you are meant to engage with it like like it is kind of funny right and it is kind of over the top y- you you identify this scene as being very twin peaks mm-hmm. right which i think is a really great comparison like it's not quite a one to one um like 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 their goals are not really the same thing you know twin twin peaks was sort of a like satirical uh a uh, uh, spin on like late 80s soap opera television stuff, right? Right. But I think this is doing a very similar thing with the book that it's based on, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the best kind of, of like, satire or parody, or whatever you want to call it, where it's definitely having a lot of fun at, at, at like, and, and maybe a little bit at the expense of the book sometimes. Um but it's it's the kind of parody that can only be made by someone who is very clearly engaged with the thing they're making, you know? Yeah, and you as the audience are still like I think it is inviting you to sincerely engage with it as well. Yeah. But it, it's like it knows what it's trying to invite you to engage in. It is like incredibly over the top and cheesy like like you know it is old it is from 2008 but i think even in 2008 putting a screaming guitar solo over two romantic partners looking at each other you didn't arrive there by accident and like back and forth close-ups of their eyes it's Mm -hmm. so funny it's it's really there there's a lot that is silly in this movie but very little of it feels um accidental and i think more importantly on the other end of that none of it feels because it's it's very easy to go too far in that direction too like if you're making like sharknado or something right where it's like oh it's isn't it funny it's so bad it's good and it's like yeah but like you you made it that you know and (laughs) and i think that this walks a very careful tightrope of having fun with its premise 
but also taking it seriously enough to carry a, an actual story. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, I mean, there, there's the, there's the other detail in this moment where, um, uh, where, where Bella walks into the science class and they look at each other and Bella's hair is blowing around <laughs> in the close up, right? But then you, I, I don't know if it's revealed immediately or whether it's, it's just there from the start, but there's a big electric fan visible right behind her, mm-hmm. which, which I, I just think is just such a perfect, uh, perfect example of like what this movie's ethos is, which is that like, it, it is a, uh, you know, it, it is a, it is a, it is a like indulgent romance where you are getting slow motion close ups of everyone's hair billowing uh beautifully right mm-hmm. but like <laughs> we've there like it it is also like set in like modern day small town washington right and there's just no way to get around that being kind of inherently a little funny yeah and they're just having they're just having a little bit of fun with it um mm-hmm. i i really this was the moment i think where i like truly just like connected with the movie like oh i i'm i'm on board for this this idea uh of like what twilight is supposed to be yeah yeah um the next scene and i I, uh uh uh, this is a really important and interesting one um uh is that we go directly from bella and edward meeting for the first time and having that sort of weird him having that sort of weird reaction and storming out of the classroom to a shot of some like obscured vampires chasing a guy through a like a lumber mill or something. Very interesting. Very interesting stuff. And they like catch him and they like, they like start tearing him apart a little bit out of focus. It's very scary. And, and this is another thing about this movie that I, I think is very interesting. Um, it really goes out of its way to fix a lot of the structural problems the book has. <laughs> Um, and, and that's a very, uh, I, I feel like that's pretty rare. Normally books are either just by, you know, wh- because the movie is just, you know, not very good or because the book is like way too long to like adapt for the screen reasonably. You usually see stuff getting cut or moved around or condensed or whatever. This is a very rare movie adaptation that I've seen where they added a bunch of shit to make it make way more sense. Yeah, it also it's the easiest thing in the world for this book. It's 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 it, it is I I feel like we mind melded with Catherine Hardwick, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the director of this movie on some level because nearly every criticism we had about like the world building or the presentation of the Cullens or like the, the structure of the plot is like addressed directly in this movie. Yeah. We could have been in that boardroom raising our hands. Like what if the tracker showed up in the beginning? (laughs) And, and the other thing that's really fun about this scene is that for the whole first act, like we don't see that it's James and Victoria in this scene. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in this, in this, this scene where it's just uh, a guy getting chased and killed, it's like 
you never see who it is and it creates this sort of like unease with a lot of the like oh edward's a vampire stuff because it's like ooh if you're watching this for the first time not having read the book it's like ooh is he the is edward the one who uh who just like attacked that guy that's kind of scary right cuz it it fakes you out with the first scene cuz the 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 movie opens up with with a deer being chased, right? And mm-hmm. we, we know later that the Cullens are vegetarian vampires and chase deer. But if you're watching it for the first time, it does feel like an escalation from the deer scene with a yes. human being hunted instead. That's right. Yeah. We, 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 before Bella's monologue, we have, we have the, de- or it's actually during Bella's monologue. We have the, the deer being hunted uh, and it's shot in a very similar way to the way that this, vampire chasing the like mill worker is is mm-hmm. filmed as well um uh and 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 that creates that that just like injects a little bit of tension into the relationship uh or in the early goings of the movie that i think is just really necessary <laughs> for this plot um because like i you know i am not anti stories not really having a plot but twilight is trying to have one and kind of never really gets there. Right. Um, and just, just injecting the barest amount of like, Ooh, mystery. And who, who killed that guy is, is, is something, even if it is, it, I mean, it, it is so bare bones. It is literally like, uh, <laughs> we, we meet Edward. Uh, uh, we know just because of the movie we're watching, that he's a vampire. We see these people getting chased and killed. um, and then there's a scene later on where like Bella and and Charlie are talking, and Charlie is like, "Well, I gotta go. Uh, they killed some some animal. Killed a guy uh, at the mill. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll be gone for the next couple of scenes. <laughs> Just really, it's it's so basic, but like ba- basic is more than Twilight had in this department. Yeah, yeah. This is like." Like you said, like they added something to make the plot work, but they figured out the barest bones thing they could add possible. And I'm like, yep, that just works. I'm on board yeah. for it. It's fine. Yeah, there are several moments like this, too. I mean, I mean, um, this is skipping ahead a little bit, but I think it's relevant to talk about here. Um, the the scene with the creepos uh, in Port Angeles. Oh, yeah. They add they add setup so that can become a payoff, which is like <laughs> it's it's and it's like the tiniest fucking thing too because it's it's when it's when Angela and, and Bella and Jessica are dress shopping. These guys walk past the um the the window to the shop, and I I I, I gotta say, thinking about it, I if I was running a dress store, I would maybe put the changing rooms in the back and not the front mm-hmm. by the street. Um, but it's still a great scene where they're like sort of trying on dresses and like these, these weirdos like come up to the window and they're like tapping on the glass and they're going like, Hey ladies. And they're being really creepy. And it then showing up a few scenes later to like stalk Bella is like, Oh, it's those guys. It just really small stuff, really small changes that I think just add up, uh, to a much greater hole, uh, in the plot, plot department. Yeah, they got some movie makers on this one. <laughs> they, they got they got some people who read Robert McKee's story <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to make the movie. <laughs> oh my god. Um I do want to talk about the Charlie stuff actually, because I, I think that 
this movie really did hone in on what was fun about him in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, great casting decision. I actually don't know the actor. Who is who plays Charlie? Have I seen him in anything else? Uh, Billy Burke. Uh, who? Uh, just trying to see if I have seen him in anything else. He's known for his role as Charlie Swan in Twilight. Okay, great. Yep. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Wikipedia. Um, uh, okay, so he's in a, he's in a bunch of stuff, but that that's I think that's this is the first thing I've ever seen him in. But he is a very, very charming portrayal of Charlie. Um, he has a great kind of like like dudes rock relationship with Billy. Mm-hmm. Um. And, and there, but the thing I, I, I want to point out as well is that the way that the movie shoots him and his scenes with, with Bella are so interesting because we were just talking about the, the very Twin Peaksy cheesy, uh, meet cute between Bella and Edward, right? Mm-hmm. And then that cuts, if I remember right, pretty much immediately to, Bella and Charlie talking about the first day of school at home. And it's like this really claustrophobic handheld camera shot with like no music. Mm-hmm. And like, it, it's really funny how like the, the energy just dies whenever Charlie and Bella are together. Mm-hmm. You can just like feel how awkward it is between them. Yeah. And it's really, I think that that is a really good way to, um, to like get that across without having, you know, cause, cause the, cause the book has her monologue about their relationship for pages upon pages upon pages. And you can't do that in the film and you probably couldn't include that in voiceover either. It'd be a little overbearing. And I, I think that they made some very interesting choices to kind of make their relationship feel, uh, feel like it does in the book. Right. Right. Um, uh, let's see next. Um, so we 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 have another thing that sort of plays into the ooh did did Edward kill those the that guy thing next because we we have sort of like the montage of Edward not being at school after the murder, mm-hmm. um, which is another scene with like incredible music choices. Uh, what was the song that was playing during this like montage? Oh, I don't remember. Uh, let me look this up because this movie, as well as having a really fun score, the like, the, I mean, this movie just has like a legendary, uh, just like licensed soundtrack. Um, Blue Foundation Eyes on Fire is the song that's playing, <laughs> uh, during this scene. And it, it's just this montage of Bella, like, like hoping to see Edward at school. And this is after the murder that just happened. And it kind of create, you know, creates a little bit of tension. Like, ooh, did Bella, did Edward kill that guy? Uh, is, is Bella falling in with a, with the wrong crowd here? Um, and then he finally shows up and he's, he's, he's happy again. Um, because he's, you know, he's fed. She notices his eyes are different. But this is where we kind of get our first, like, huge dose of Robert Pattinson acting. Wowee. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, talk a little bit about his performance in the, the at least the early parts of this movie. I, I, maybe this is harsh. I think that his performance in the early parts of the movie are maybe the weakest point for me. Mm-hmm. Um, he sure seems like he's about to cry at all times. <laughs> 
Yeah, he's... He might I mean, be about to cry because he's never acted before in his life and is suddenly in <laughs> like the biggest movie of the year. I So he, I, I went and looked this up because I was curious about how much he had done before Twilight. Mm-hmm. And it's really not much. He, he had, um, uh, he was in Harry Potter as Cedric yeah, a few got, years like, before. Yeah, two lines in that, right? Yeah, he, he, he really was not prominent in that movie. He, he had a couple of fun lines and then he died. Um, uh, he was in, uh, a movie called Vanity Fair and a movie called How to Be, which were both, uh, relatively, I think, more art house, uh, uh, like, indie productions, right? Mm -hmm. And then he just jumps into being the lead in, like, the biggest movie of the year. And And a romance movie, too. Your romance movie and playing against um uh uh what how am I how the fuck am I drawing a blank on her name Kristen, Kristen Stewart Kristen Stewart thank you uh Kristen Stewart which is also like a first time actress in this I thought like a, like a relative like unknown yeah um and so I can absolutely imagine that the energy on that set was weird <laughs> um. Uh, cause, cause, you know, if you know what you're making and you're like, not, uh, a well-known actor, you know, that's that, that, that there's a lot of pressure there. Um, and it certainly comes through in both of their performances, which, uh, is awkward. You know, how old, like, was, how old was Robert Pattinson when he acted in this movie? Uh, I think Kristen Stewart was 17 and he would have been like 18 or 19. That's tough. That's a yeah. lot of pressure. They're they're both like the ages of the characters, more more or less, right? Um, which which makes, yeah, certainly makes. T- I mean, the, the an interesting note about the production of the movie is that because Kristen Stewart was seventeen, um, the movie couldn't have a full day of production. Wow, they they could only shoot for like four or five hours a day, I think, because she was a minor, hmm. um, and that made the movie take way longer to make than it would have otherwise uh which i think is part of what created some of the tension between Catherine hardwick and uh summit which was like the distributor right um Mm -hmm. there's a there's a lot of interesting stuff about the relationship between her and the and the suits on this movie um uh but yeah no so so i i think the, the the best thing i can say about the acting uh for both of them is that like they're clearly struggling in a lot of this movie. Yeah, yeah. But, but I think that because the movie has this, like, really, uh, like, really strange energy and, and, and is leaning into Twilight being very campy, I think they, they, they it's one of those things where, where, like, they make it work in editing, in a way. Um, just because, like, they are very awkward together and they are Edward in particular. I mean, like his accent his English accent is coming through in a lot of scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and uh, Kristen Stewart sort of just has like one kind of like monotone delivery on a lot of things. Um, but like the music is always going bananas behind them, you know, and like <laughs> <laughs> we're getting like these close-ups and stuff. And it just it, it at least comes together, I think, in a way that is very like the worst thing you can say about it really is that it's extremely quotable. 
which is, you know, that's fine. I just think that Robert Pattinson was like, I think that the, what they were going for was like self-possessed cultured vampire. And what they ended up with was naive alien. Yeah. I mean, the the one that really sticks out is that, so we, we get the scene just like the book where uh, Edward saves her from getting crushed by Tyler's van. Right. Mm-hmm. And when we go to the hospital, um, Bella, like, overhears uh, Edward Carlyle and Rosalie arguing about, like, her saving a human, or him saving a human, and she she corners Edward, and, and they have a very similar conversation to the one in the book, and she tells him more or less, like, you know, I, something weird is going on, and I know, I know it's going on, and <laughs> Robert Pattinson delivers the, like, in the, in the book, there's sort of this, like, uh, dark swag to the way he's like, well, no one will believe you even if you tell them, right? You know, <laughs> like, it, it's it's a very scary thing to say, but, like, the con- one, the context of it makes it work sound a little less threatening than it would in real life, right? But, but it's, it, but, you know, like, he's very, he's in command of the situation in the book. In the movie, he sort of, like, looks around shifting, shiftily, and, like, like you say, he looks like he's about to cry a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah. And he, like, he turns back to her and he's like, well, if you told anyone, it's not like anyone would believe you. <laughs> it's like, Nobody, really? Nobody will believe you. It's, like, almost apologetic. It's like, oh, I know I have to say this really shitty thing, so I'm just gonna, like, mumble it. It's, <laughs> it's a very, very funny performance in places. Yeah. Um, I do think he gets better over the course of i I, both of them do but i i think that by the time we've gotten to um this movie's version of like the meadow scene right i think that they they, they've landed somewhere that i think at least works for the film even if they're never really uh convincing is the wrong word but like there's just there's never a moment where you're like oh these are you're always always aware of the fact that these are very new actors i think yeah i think that um it was maybe easier for them to stick the landing on the scenes where they uh, their relationship has progressed versus their like very beginning just meeting scenes yeah that seemed easier for them but uh, yeah because i think yeah that's i think that's a really good summation of it because it's it's like once the emotions are getting not just more open between them, but like bigger and broader, right? Mm-hmm. That's where it starts working. Whereas I think some of the more subtle uh, will they or won't they stuff early on is just, it's just too much of an ask for them um, at, yeah. the, the, at like the age they were at. Yeah. And I think uh, you're right. Like they made up for it in editing by realizing that during those awkward moments, they should just play a really loud guitar riff. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really, it's really, really striking how much work the score is doing in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like was just, I think that might've be the most surprising thing about the movie to me is like just how, um, how engaging it was and how like kind of like score driven it was. Yeah. These early scenes in particular um, where, you know, like the, the acting isn't 
isn't enough to sell the story on its own. So they've got like guitar screeching and and like 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 rock drums and like you know we're we're putting in um licensed music and stuff. But like the score is really carrying the emotions of the movie for a lot of it. Um and it's up to the task. It's great. I've honestly been listening to it for like the past three days ever since we watched it. Like, yeah, me too. It's really good. It's uh, and, and I was like shocked to discover that it was by Carter Burwell, who is a very famous composer who is basically like the in-house composer for like the Coen Brothers and all their movies, <laughs> right? Which is such a wild get for Twilight. Um. And, and I, I, one, I'm glad they did because he did a great job, but I'm like, I'm thrilled that he, similar to, to what it seems like the, the director did, uh, you know, like earnestly engaged with it. Yeah, they didn't have to do that. You found that, um, that piece on his blog talking about Bella's lullaby that was fascinating. Yeah, yeah, he has this whole story about one being inspired to write it by like a bad breakup he had in like in a relationship in his real life, which is a very funny thing to admit about like this is how I wrote Bella's lullaby was from from that melody. Um and like and this is Edward's original composition, right? That's mm-hmm. what this represents. Um in the movie and the guy from muse sent him his idea for it which is so funny (laughs) there's like a thing in there too about like how like like fans were also sending their ideas to me which super didn't help Um, yeah (laughs) i would i wonder if the muse guy matt bellamy's version of uh of of bella's lullaby made it anywhere into a Muse album after this, because I would love right? to hear, I would love to hear what his idea for it was. Yeah, and there was, like, a power struggle between, like, Summit, like, the executives at Summit, um, and Catherine Hardwick, and um, the composer, as, like, they thought of it as, like, the love theme, and it's called, like, her lullaby and the executives didn't like it because it started on, like, a dissonant note, and they thought that that was, like, bad because it was mm-hmm. not like sweet enough. It's a very interesting story, an interesting post about it. Yeah, yeah. It's it, the, like he got into an argument with like the movie executives over the use of B flat. Right. Like, it's a really bizarre story. It's it's definitely worth reading. Um, but yeah, no, this the the score just like consistently doing a great job with scenes that I think otherwise would have been a little flat. I mean, like there's there's that moment when Bella notices that his eyes are different, right? Mm-hmm. And in the book, he just sort of like, like, just like, just gaslights her about it, right? Is mm-hmm. just very confidently, just like, nope, they're the same, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you're crazy. Um, in 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 this scene in the movie, he like looks like he's been caught with his hand in the cookie jar uh-huh. for a second, and then he mumbles like, "It's probably the fluorescent lights." And then he just like leaves, <laughs> he just and it's walks like away. he just walks away, and and it's like it's it's not a great performance, but with with that score behind it because it's playing it's playing the weird Twin Peaks music while this is happening, and like the the way it's edited, you know, because they they film this conversation between them in like the lockers at school, so there's just like other kids walking by and stuff. 
And it just makes both Bella and Edward look like fucking losers. <laughs> Which is great, because they are. They are just, like, super antisocial mean kids, right? Yeah. Like, um, because the same thing happens in, in you know, the conversation they have uh, where Edward is like, you know, we, we shouldn't be friends, uh, is while they're on a field trip, um, and everyone else is having a great time, you know, like, like, Eric is making jokes about, like, drinking the compost at this, like, uh, uh, or, or is it Tyler? One, one of them is, one of the friends is, like, is, like, jokingly, like, drinking the, the stuff they're supposed to be feeding the plants at this, mm-hmm. like, weird nature preserve they're at. There's a bit where, like, they're... <laughs> Where, like, Bella is walking out very seriously after arguing with Edward and Mike just, like, or Eric, I think, just, like, picks up a stick with a bunch of worms on it. It's just like, look, Bella, there's worms. <laughs> <laughs> like, everyone else is so animated in this around them that it it makes Edward and Bella's just, just constant misery very, stick out very much and just make them... Just, just seem like a couple of dorks, right? Like yeah, it's very charming. Because they're they're acting out Twin Peaks in the middle of like a a teen movie. Yes, ex- yes, exactly. They they are they are just in their own little world, right? And it, it the movie does a great job with just making them like you know like like they're compelling, but it's very funny whenever you see them next to like normal people <laughs> who are just like having a good time or like. You know, like, like, with any scene with Bill and Charlie, like, like, he is making such an effort to connect with her because he feels really bad and she's just blowing him off every time. Like, mm-hmm. they, 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 they just really do uh, play up uh, how antisocial these characters act in the book. Yeah, yeah, it really feels like they picked up on sort of the same thing that we did, where we were just always thinking, like, oh, they're perfect for each other. <laughs> they're horrible. <laughs> yeah, they're both terrible for each other. <laughs> um, uh, the, the, um, the next thing we get that's, I think, really important is, is so we, we sort of get these back-to-back scenes in the middle of the movie that are... Bella learning about the the rivalry between the Cullens and the uh the Blacks and like their um it's delivered exactly the same as the book more or less like it's on the beach Jacob presents it as like this this story that is uh that he doesn't really believe but it like makes some things click in Bella's head you know um about stuff she's noticed we do get an extra detail which is a flashback sequence that includes Jacob's tribe coming across Edward and Carlisle dressed as like 1920s guys in the woods. Beautiful. So fucking funny. Um uh but then on the on like while this is happening, we cut to another vampire murder happening. Mm-hmm. Cause what because what Jacob explains is that oh yeah we 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 can't trust the vampires they hunt people um and then we see who is really committing the other murders and it's not it's not Edward and Co it's it's Laurent James and Victoria we surprised they're characters early on we wow. there's no, there's no need for Crowmore anymore <laughs> Crowmore is sidelined yeah a, a huge Honestly, huge choice to exclude Kralnor from this movie. Big um, blunder. The fans hated that. <laughs> the fan 
just really wanted Kralnor. This is um, nothing like the book. <laughs> but but we do at least get um just some establishing scenes of like who uh Laurent, uh James, and Victoria are also insanely cool character designs for them. Yeah. They are so much fun. Victoria, I I, I think they they have like the most fun with the wardrobe for because she's wearing like she's 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 very beautiful and she's like very you you look at her at a glance and you're like oh that's like a, a rich fashion conscious woman right yeah but i didn't realize this until like the second scene she was in she's wearing like really tacky store-bought graphic tees in all of her shots mm-hmm. but she's wearing them like underneath a like huge fur coat yeah yeah she's got her like bedazzled like shirts from the mall yeah, and her her beautiful fur mantle over the top of it. Yeah, it's a really really fun look, um, and just a, a really great like at a glance character designer. Just like oh, this is someone who's like not not immersed in like human culture, right? Like mm-hmm. these are just just completely incongruous outfits for her. Then you've got James, who they because like James is really not physically described that much in the none of them are really. Other than that, Victoria has like red hair, uh, and, and but like James is just like they they he's like he's shirtless all the time or like wearing a jacket with no shirt, right? He and he's like very dirty and he's got like he's always got like the fully black eyes, right? Which is yeah. like uh, uh just like it's it, you know it's maybe not lore accurate, but it's like a very cool just uh, like at a at a glance like way to like go go like oh yep that guy's a villain, <laughs> right? Um. Uh, and then we have Laurent, who I think has like really gotten the most uh, of like a like a like a new a new vision for him. He's played by uh, uh, Edie Gafegi, who is a really cool actor who was in a bunch of stuff around this time. I actually don't know what he's in nowadays, but he was in like The Blacklist and House and like a bunch of TV stuff around this time. Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of got like Interview with the Vampire stuff going on for him right like he's very mm-hmm. classical uh, uh he's awesome i i love their version of laurent here yeah we have like a villain squad in this movie yeah it's it's crazy how much that adds great it's, idea it's so cool to put villains in your movie <laughs> your movie that's supposed to have a plot yeah yeah like it's like so now we know that there's some evil vampires and we know that there's some good vampires and also we there's a a new like oh new new conflict alert cuz cuz then after this happens we see Charlie um finding like human footprints near the scene of the crime right mm-hmm. and he's like oh my god a, a, like a person did this it wasn't an animal at all right. cuz Carlisle's been saying Carlisle's like cover for like these these uh, crime scenes that he's visiting, um, I guess, to, like, help the police has been like, oh, yeah, an animal did that. Right. Which is, you know, kind of funny, a little silly. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, oh, so if, if Charlie ever finds out, you know, that a vamp- the vampires exist, that's gonna cause some friction, right? Like, right. he ate those guys, Bella. And she's like, no, he's one of the, he's a good vampire. The vegetarian vampire, He's a vegetarian Dad. vampire, uh, so there we, we, we <laughs> while all this is happening, Bella is, like, dramatically Googling vampire stuff and discovers the truth. 
Yeah, this is a very top tier like Googling montage. Yeah, what what are your favorite like depictions of the internet in movies? Uh, this one, I think. I think the dramatic <laughs> zoom ins to the computer screen are very good. Yeah, she's like, we're getting we're getting zoom ins on all of her Google searches. She's searching like Quill Ute Legends and then like vampires and then cold one. Like she's just having a great time Googling awesome shit. And we're getting like these dramatic zooms. The images are like jumping out of the computer screen <laughs> in this little montage. It's so much fun. This is like Along with the fashion, this is the most like, oh my god, this is from 2008 movie. Yeah. Um, uh, um, but she figures it out, and she, you know, once once he rescues her from, or or I guess it's it's before. Um, no, it is after he rescues her from those uh, from those those guys that uh, we saw a little earlier in the Port Angeles scene. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're they they, they you know he she says. He's a vampire. He, you know, he's like, ah, oh, you figured me out. They and she, she like tells him that she's, you know, I'm kind of interested in that. And this all, this all leads up to the this movie's version of the meadow scene, which sort of compresses a bunch of his drama and like his 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 angst into like one core scene in the film. And I think this is maybe the biggest change because because the, the what this makes clear is that Edward is not like pre redeemed in this movie, right? And I think that that's super important and also feels like another like fix for the plot of this novel. Yeah, yeah, because the question is always there, right? Mm-hmm. It, it creates a good setup for the final act. Um, where he is, uh, uh, he, he's he's gonna have to suck suck the juice out of her, right? But like, yeah. um, in in this scene, we sort of get like a bunch of his, a bunch of like the big, like, first date moments compressed into one date, which is very, which is very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, w- but we do get word for word his uh, as if you could out- outrun me thing where he runs around and like breaks tree branches off and throws them around <laughs> i was i was losing my shit during this part um it is just as funny on the big screen as it is in the book it is maybe funnier <laughs> like the, the image <laughs> that i had of him just delivering this monologue while like breaking shit and jumping off of trees is just delivered so perfectly in the film <laughs> Um, one, I, I, I think I will be listening. I, I like the way that he says, as if you could outrun me, it's just going to be stuck in my head forever. <laughs> he's cause he's like hunched over too. He looks like you just like told him that he gets to play no Xbox for a week and he's like sulking. Yeah. It, it's really, really funny. And of course, of course we get the horrible line from the book word for word. Oh, it's uh, a doozy. Oh, making, making the both of the i hope that they got like a million dollars each just for this line mm-hmm. for them for them having to do the and so the lion fell in love with the lamb exchange oh and then some shit about it being a masochistic lion it's what a so sick bad. masochistic lion it's yeah oh, oh um my 
like rented version had the like x-ray trivia stuff and I didn't pay attention to it. But the one thing that it told me like right at the beginning of the movie was that that was the one thing that Stephanie Meyer insisted on. Like she insisted that that be in there word for word. Oof. Stephanie. Oh my God. Yeah. That was one that really could have done with, with getting cut or trimmed a little bit. And it's just in full effect in this movie. Um, (laughs) we do, when she figures out he's a vampire, by the way, there's that incredible, um, uh, like imagined version of him that we see Mm -hmm. in Bella's mind where she figures out he's a vampire and her first thought is imagining herself getting like chomped on by him, but wearing like a sexy, like Dracula outfit. This is up there with like hoodie Voldemort to me. (laughs) why isn't this everywhere it's so funny edward wearing dracula clothes is like one of the funniest parts again another moment that i think is both very cheesy very funny and also tells you that the 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 catherine hardwick and the the whole team knew exactly what they were doing yeah like yeah just a hundred percent like like you are meant to be you you are laughing with this movie stuff right mm-hmm. like and 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 i think though as 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 cheesy as as that that line line is and and as 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 funny as it is that this had to make it into the movie we do, we do at the very least have some tension here because we do not know that edward has been redeemed for all of his like angst at this point in the books it was so clear early on even in twilight which isn't from edward's perspective like we we had gotten all those scenes at like the cullen house where edward explains that like oh you know carlisle saved me or whatever uh and and you know i'm i'm good now Mm -hmm. and and not having that in the movie makes the uh the fact that he is torn up about that make much more sense and makes Bella going, I don't know, I think it's kind of hot still, much more interesting. Yeah. Like, if, if there's anything that, 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 like, the acting in this scene really gets across, uh, whether it's intentional or not, is when, like, Edward has, has uh, Bella in, like, the worst Cabadon ever, like, against a tree. <laughs> And, and is like, and is like, you know, I, I, I might kill you. I'm, I'm so dangerous. And, and like Bella just very flatly is like, I don't care. (laughs) And it's like, you, you, you know, she, 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 you know, she's ready for it. She knows what she wants. She's, she, she thinks this is hot. She wants him to dress up as Dracula and bite her. Yeah. She, she never varies in that. Like, I mean, we will talk about this later, but when she wants to be a vampire, uh, like later on, I'm like, she always wanted to be. She was always all in on this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We also get the really fun cut away from because we we get sort of this montage. We get that scene, then we get a, like a, a little bit of a calmer scene after school where where he and Bella talk about what it's like to be a vampire and how long he's been alive and stuff. And then there's that really funny bit. Where it just, like, it shows Edward showing off his, like, crazy jumping powers to her. (laughs) 
and he like jumps and then it like cuts to him jumping on top of her jeep for some reason (laughs) (laughs) which is so fucking funny he's just like jumping up and down on it and then he like um there's the dent that's been in the car the whole time that he just like reaches down and like pulls out uh to fix which is a very it's a very slick move it's really fucking cool um but uh 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 it just it just does a great job of making it feel like both he feels like maybe he's he can do it this time and bella getting in you know getting into a relationship with someone who might be dangerous right i i just i, I love that change yeah uh, yeah and it's a change by omission but it's an omission that just really helps i think mm-hmm, i agree um this isn't as important, but, but, uh, oh, actually, no, I, I guess, I guess this is, so, so, uh, Edward, while he's jumping on her truck, is there to, uh, take her to dinner at his house. Um, yep. and, uh, before they leave, uh, Billy and Charlie show up. And Charlie, you know, Charlie's grumpy because, you know, of course, he's just the protective dad. He doesn't really want Bella dating this guy. Um, and of course, Billy is like staring daggers at at Edward because he knows what he is, right? Mm-hmm. But there's this there's this great bit where like there's like uh, uh, they're in sort of like this stare down, and then uh, <laughs> Charlie shows up holding a six pack of Rainier behind Billy and is like is like I got some vitamin R. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> They're so fun. They're just cool dudes. They're having a They're great time. They're going to watch a Mariners game with some vitamin yes. R. What's more Pacific yeah. Northwest than that? They're, they're just two Pacific Northwest guys hanging out. I love them. I would have watched a whole movie about them. There's some <laughs> stuff in here that like I feel like should just come off as like, oh, they just Googled Pacific Northwest. But it feels so sincere and like accurate in a way. Like I just... I remember like being a kid and like enjoying that commercial of the like motorcycle that sounds like Rainier beer. Like mm-hmm. it all just it all rings really true to me. Like the them getting together to see the Mariners game with some Rainier. There's the scene on the beach um where they're just on like the dark, cold, rocky beach, and there's one of the kids like runs after another kid holding some like bull kelp. And I'm like, yes. this just feels very genuine. It's, it's, it's really fun. It's, it's interesting too, because it was filmed in Portland mm-hmm. um, rather than forks. And I, I, when I read about that, I was kind of disappointed. Cause I was like, you know, I've driven through forks. Like you could easily make a movie here. Right. But, but I think what ends up working really well about it is, um, this movie exists in like heightened Washington, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, they are like 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 the forks that this movie creates is like this fantasy town where the the pine trees are like miles high and like everything is green and we've got the blue tint on everything, which like I think. <sighs> Yeah, the blue tint is the is the one where I think it oversteps its boundaries a little bit and and into being obnoxious in some spots. Um, I hate it's definitely it. A, it's why why movie look like this part two. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's I'm like I get it. 
it's not hard yeah. to understand, right? Like there's that part at the end where Jacob shows up and there's like the sunbeams of natural light. And I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, I get what the blue tint means, but it just, it hurts my eyes. I'm like, why a movie look like that? Yeah. It's, I, I think it, I, I like it in some spots and I, and I hate it in other spots. It's, um, it's mostly just really overbearing when I think it could have been just as effective in just like only a few scenes, you know. Um, they I went for it though. Yeah, like I like gotta the, give him props for going for it. it. It's yeah, it's certainly a choice, right? Like like it, it it wasn't random. It's just it's maybe a little bit overbearing. I mean, it just reminds me. I very rarely like super aggressive color grading like that in films. Um, it reminds me of like when I, I got really annoyed as a kid because the DVDs of the matrix and Lord of the Rings I had added like a fucking green tint to everything <laughs> that like only releases like just now or fixing. Right. Like, uh-huh. The like you could like the, for, for years, for like decades, the only copy of the matrix you could get had a fucking green overlay on it. That was never in the original movie. Right. And like, at least this is the original movie, right? Like the tint was always there. It was always the decision, but it's just, it, it's a, it's a, it's an artistic choice that just feels so overbearing sometimes. Yeah. I want to like it because the, when it contrasts with some natural light, I'm like, that's really cool. But mm-hmm. it just, you just have to look at it the whole time, which is the real downside. <laughs> I think it works really well whenever they are, um, uh, kind of like around the Cullen house or, or not the Cullen house around the Swan house. Mm-hmm. Um, like all these like more domestic scenes where like Billy and Charlie and, and, and uh, Bella are like hanging out in the driveway or in the, the diner or at the store or something. Cause the blue tint does a really good job of like um, making it feel cold and kind of damp, you know? Right. Um, and, and, and in those scenes where you can like see that like the streets are really damp, um and and stuff. I think it's kind of effective there, but like there are scenes in like the forest where everything is green and it's like almost fighting to come through the, come through the filter, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a shame because there's some really lush photography going on with like the forest stuff. Um that I do really like in 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 the sense that like I I like this version of like this like fantasy Washington they live in. Um, but it's just, it's too much sometimes. Yeah. Um, uh, and next is, I think maybe my favorite part of the whole movie. Mm -hmm. Time to visit the Cullens. Yeah, me too. This is my favorite scene. This shit is so good. Do you want to, do you want to like describe, do you want to take this away? This is, So, so this was, from the book right because they go in and and the whole family is there and they're all like making bella an italian dinner um and and maybe there's a line where they're like well her name name is bella so it's she's getting some like noodles or something um but rosalie is there creating conflict they get into a little tiff and um rosalie like like drops the salad bowl or something and it shatters and it's just a great scene it's it's another tiny change that adds so much to these relatively minor characters Mm -hmm. i love that they are like watching like the cooking channel and trying to follow along like it's so cute. 
like it, it it's 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 so uh like like for one it does make them look much more like accommodating because the book is always telling me in twilight that that when uh, when bella is visiting them that like oh they're so nice and 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 uh i feel so welcome here and i'm like you're crazy bella this is a nightmare house right <laughs> but like showing them as like making this good faith effort to like cook her food because she's human and like edward showing her and the house is so much more interesting too um it's just it's just so it's just a like across the board of just like a way better portrayal of the Cullens, I think. Yeah, it definitely got across what I think the book was trying to make me feel and just mm-hmm. failed utterly. The the you you mentioned um uh uh Rosalie. Yeah, cuz mm-hmm. yeah, she like drops the bowl or she like I think I can't remember if she dropped it or if she like was holding it and got so mad she like shattered it in her hands, oh, right? Oh, that's like, what it was. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because she's, like, super fucking pissed off. And, like, she just tells them, rather than it having to be Edward telling Bella while they're, like, playing piano, she says, this is a mistake, you are gonna fuck this up for all of us, like, I like it here, and now we're gonna have to move, right? Like, she she just, like, explains exactly why she's pissed off, and then storms out of the room. It's like, oh my god, a character is here, finally. <laughs> like, Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really great. I loved Rosalie in this. I mean, she's not in it a whole ton, but how many times did I say during our reading that I wish the characters would just say out loud their, like, their, like, problem <laughs> that they have? <laughs> <laughs> or or anything in Rosalie's case. Mm-hmm. Like, Rosalie is so weird in that she just doesn't factor into the first book at all. Like, it, it, the way she was presented in the book was like, oh, uh, Rosalie is pissed about Bella and Edward for interesting reasons. Well, because she's pissed off, that's mean. So away she goes, right? Just like not in- at all interested in this honestly pretty compelling idea that like Rosalie feels that like their cover is going to get blown and she's jealous of Bella for like still having her humanity, but knowing about the the shadow world or what. It's like, oh, she sounds awesome. And it's it's so refreshing to see her like get to emote in the film. Yeah. I mean, I think that the way that they um like created conflict for her in the movie is such a honestly monumental change to her character and maybe the biggest change to a character. Um, because in the book, at least from midnight sun's perspective, she is so checked out of the Edward Bella thing. And she removes herself completely versus this, where it really demonstrates an internal conflict that she's having in a really subtle way. But like she's still there holding the salad bowl, right? She's there yeah. to be mad and is like going along with it, but yeah. but is clearly having this this issue, and that's kind of a big change to her character. Yeah, it, it's it's a huge change, and it it makes the um it's it's another like subtle like I guess not really subtle in this case, but it's it's another change early in the story that does a great job of making something that just sort of happens out of nowhere in the book feel like an actual payoff in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, because you do sort of get the sense that the Cullens aren't 100% on board with Edward and Bella as a thing, right? Or at least one of them isn't. And, like, you know, her opinion is just as valid as any of the other Cullens. 
Um, and so there being this sort of like conflict within the family does a ton of work to make the moment where they decide that it is worth protecting Bella kind of a like a relief in the story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, cause you don't really know if they have her back up until that point. Um, whereas in, in the book, it is just taken for granted that like, they love her immediately. Cause like, there's another thing here too, right? Where it's like, obviously Carlisle and, 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 um, Esme are like trying to be very nice, uh, by preparing this meal for Bella. But when Edward, Edward is like exasperated with this. Cause he, I, I, I like, he, you sort of get the sense that he's like embarrassed, right? By yeah. this. Um, and he like, he like is like, oh, well she already ate. Um, and you can tell that Carlisle and Esme are disappointed, I think, in the way that they play it. Um, Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, they don't laugh it off or anything. You you can tell that like, they've clearly been working very hard to do this and are a little put out. Um, but then Rosalie, I think kind of notices that and just like runs with it. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. And and so there's also this little bit of conflict that that, that plays into what I was uh, alluding to with 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 the uh, like family dynamic stuff, where it's like, is Rosalie saying what Carlisle and Esme were thinking, or is she going too far with it? You know, like like there's a there's a really interesting unease there that is just not present at all in the book. Yeah, yeah, because it really makes the family still a question mark because you don't know. It's like, oh, is Rosalie the canary in the coal mine here? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's very interesting. Yeah. And, and and we also very, also very importantly, do not get any of Carlisle's backstory. Thank God. Which, yeah. It's so like, it's a, like, th- that is the funniest part of Twilight the book to me in that like, that guy's story is just more interesting than 90% of what happens to anyone. <laughs> um, and so just remove it and make the focus the, the actual main characters. Um, so because we sort of are left with this sort of awkward scene meeting the parents rather than it just being an out and out success, um, we get the, the scene where um, Edward shows Bella around the house and like all their cool stuff and we get some like extra world building here that's really cool like the 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 Cullens have like all of these masks on the wall that I I assume are like uh different vampire masks from different cultures right like mm-hmm. like different versions of like bloodsucker uh uh mythological creatures and then he shows off their graduation cap wall this is such an incredible moment because at least from my viewing of it as the, cause they're walking up these absurd stairs, right? They're stairs with like glass panels on the side. Mm-hmm. And then there's this huge framed, what looks like when you first see it looks like some sort of like art piece that is just like panels of blue colors. And then you re- realize as they get there, Bella says like graduation caps. And it's just like, a hundred graduation caps all like overlapping and they're all like different shades of blue. Um, mm-hmm. It's incredible. And and it's like a joke, right? It's like, Oh, yeah. well we've graduated so, so many times it's an inside joke um, for our family. And, and what a great moment. It's, it's so much fun. It, 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 
I think this is just like the purest, just like straight across improvement from book to film here. Mm-hmm. The Cullens are just like characters now, finally. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like it, it, it fixes all like, like it, it, I think that there are multiple directions you could have taken it. Like you could have leaned into it being as weird as it is in the book. Right. Where like, you know, it's like a completely white house and like they're too accommodating. Right. I think you could have also run that direction with it. But making them seem like they are unsure of what to make of Edward's and Edward and Bella's relationship, um, and also like very, uh, like people who have thoughts about being vampires, right, and like have like jokes about it between themselves and whatnot is like it's it's so fun. It's a really really nice detail, and I think really smart to instead of trying to get into the granular details about the individual characters in the family, it instead kind of opts to make the family a character in its own right, rather than yeah. kind of get into the nitty gritty of, of like their powers and who they are. They kind of leave, um, leave the individuals as archetypes, like as best they can, but, but opt more toward like, Oh, the family having inside jokes about having these graduation yeah. caps and things like that. We we get like really broad strokes about each of them. Like we have, you know, Emmett is sort of an amplified version of Book Emmett, right? He's just this big lunk in the movie. It's very cute. Yeah. Um, Alice is like thirty percent more oo woo in the movie than in the book. <laughs> um, the first time you see her, she's like, she like comes into the kitchen during their their kind of awkward meeting. And she like walks in through the window, like like she like jumps off of a tree and onto the balcony. Is like hello, you know, just like really quirky um, uh, 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 presentation. Um, Jasper is just a fucking weirdo in this, which I yeah, love. he's working on it though. Yeah, because they 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 kind of like highlight like oh he's like the newest one and it's kind of it's gonna be the hardest for him to be around you, which again another moment of like unease right with the family. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, oh, maybe he's going to just fucking go vampire mode and eat Bella. Because there's this great bit where they're like, oh, he's like the newest one. He's the least used to being around people. But uh, he's working on it. And it just cuts to him looking like completely unhinged. And he's like, <laughs> hello. Hello, Bella. <laughs> just like really <laughs> scary looking. <laughs> it's awesome. It's, it's, uh, it, it's, it makes the the way that this culminates in like the baseball game works so well too. Cause you kind of get to see all of these personalities like unleashed later. Mm-hmm. Um, which baseball is like kind of the next big thing. But before that we get uh, maybe my favorite Charlie moment in the whole movie, which is like once, once Edward and Bella are like an item, we then kind of skip forward a little bit after the, after the meeting, the parents scene. Um, to this bit where Bella is like coming downstairs and you don't really know the context of the scene for a few moments. Um, and Ed and Charlie is just like polishing a shotgun (laughs) in the, on the kitchen table. And he's got like two empty beer cans in front of him. Um, and, and like no one says anything about it. Um, but, uh, they, they sort of have this conversation and then Bella, like uh is like oh he's here and and charlie like snaps the shotgun closed and it turns out that edward's picking her up to play baseball 
Um, and it's it's a very cute. He, he you know, I, I I love the presentation of Charlie in this. He's he's just a he's trying, you know, but he is he is the most American dad. Yeah, I, I feel like it's like a little bit low hanging fruit to do the like dad with a shotgun scene, but works because it's a vampire coming to pick her up, right? It it works because it's a vampire, and I think what what really sells it is that at no point does anyone acknowledge it. <laughs> like, like I think, like, Charlie, I think, is doing it to, like, try and be intimidating whenever Edward shows up. But then when Edward does show up, he doesn't show him, he doesn't, like, do anything with the gun, right? Like, he doesn't, like, <laughs> there's no, like he, it, like, he was doing it and he thought it was a really cool idea and then, like, decided against it almost. <laughs> Um, cause it just never, it never can, like, it never escalates. Edward, I don't know if, I can't remember if he even notices it. Um, uh, it, it almost, it almost plays as, like, it's something Charlie was doing for his, himself, rather than, like, as a show to Edward, which I think right. is really funny. Yeah. Um, um, but, uh, uh, this is, this is the moment we, we've really been waiting for, the, the baseball, the baseball scene. Yeah. Oh my god. C- cinema. Magnifico. Standing up and cheering for sure. I had no idea. Like, I mean, I'd seen this scene on YouTube like a billion times, right? Cuz it's just funny, right? Like it it is not knowing who the characters are, or, like what the movie is. It's just like, yeah, this is crazy. Uh vampires playing baseball with a lot of slow-mo. Um but seeing it in the film after the great setup of the family dynamic, mm-hmm. it, it's just delightful. It's so much fun. Yeah. What What is the band that's playing? Is it Supermassive Black Hole? It, it's it's Muse. It's Muse. Muse's Supermassive yep. Black Hole. Yeah. So it's really, we're getting a really funky song in the background. Um, we're getting all these like crazy anime, like there, there's the, there's the bit where Carlisle like, uh, points his bat at the sky and it like does like a it's like when an when a guy in a shonen like points at like the villain you know and it like yeah. has a super forced perspective on it it's like really crazily foreshortened um uh we get like some fun dynamics between like oh Emma, Emma and Edward like collide and they're like joking with each other they're like being <laughs> homies um we're getting it, Rose, Rosalie's talking about uh uh Emmett being her 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 like monkey man or whatever. They're just oh, they're so cute. Yeah. This was the only way to do this scene and have it like I I think that a lesser film would have tried to be more subdued with it to try to like almost apologize for it because it's an absurd scene in the book, but they just went for it. Like it is so sincere and fun. It's, it's, it's just really swinging for the fences. No pun intended. Right. Like it's just, uh, it, 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 it's, I mean, it's pure schmaltz. It's pure cheese, but it's like, again, vampires playing baseball. What other way is there to do that than to just really lean into how ridiculous it is. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, um, they're having a great time. Oh, also, this is to rewind just a little bit, but I, I remember my favorite detail about the Charlie moment before the baseball scene, which is um, when, when, because Charlie's been 
working on these like murders that the other vampires are doing and he's getting really worried. And there's a scene early on where he gives Bella some pepper spray. Mm-hmm. And I remember what it is. It's he doesn't he doesn't make a show of the shotgun, but as soon as Edward is out of earshot in the base in the in the scene where he's picking her up to take her to baseball, he just goes like, You still got that pepper spray? And she's like, Yes, Dad, and like walks out of the room. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Um But yeah, no, God, the, the baseball scene is just like it's it's just fucking fun. It's and and like the I think the best part about it is that like the baseball scene itself is already completely off the wall. And then when the evil vampire shows up, it just keeps escalating. Mm-hmm. Like, the, like, the music changes from Muse to, like, dramatic score stuff. Um, they come, like, striding in through the woods, and there's, like, all these, like, smash zooms of them, like, looking really <laughs> cool. It's it, It's so over the top. And then they, like... They sort of like have this like vampire standoff in the middle, uh, where they it's it's pretty similar to the books, but we're getting just like these all these spaghetti western eye close ups between all of them as they're having this conversation about playing baseball. It's ah, uh-huh. uh, oh, they did such a good job with the villains, and and like this was where watching this movie, I was like, this is gonna be tough. To pull off, right? If they, because the movie has been so faithful to the book up until this point, mm-hmm. and we are doing the the thing where the villains kick off the third act by like wanting to play baseball, and I was just like, "Wow, they're really gonna do that?" Okay, mm-hmm. I was kind of expecting a change here, but they do they do do it all. I I was I was really really surprised by this. And I think it's maybe the part of the movie that suffers the the most from how fast everything moves. Because mm-hmm. we, from baseball, we go to driving away, to fake breakup, to hiding in the hotel, to the tracker calling Bella and threatening her mom. It's like two minutes. It's a Yeah, it's bit, fast. It's really fucking fast. But I think there is there is there's one thing at least that I think benefits from this, and it is the fake breakup scene mm-hmm. because it, b- by it being so fast, and also crucially with them not fucking hashing it out for two two chapters in the car, um, it just you you just sort of like pick up what what's going on through context clues, um, with like Edward being there to help her pack and like her. Uh, just like walking into the house all of a sudden saying like, and, and, you know, and don't call me or whatever. Right. Like it's, it, 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 it improves on that a little bit. I think. Yet another part in the movie where it really trusts the audience um, and doesn't need to exposit about it. I thought the scene was really fun um, because it it is just like a pretty abrupt cut to her walking into the house and, and breaking up with Edward and she walks up the stairs and Edward is just in her room to mm-hmm. help her pack. And it's like, I don't need that. Like it could have been explained and it wasn't. And I got it. And it just is like fast paced and really fun. But I, I do agree that like there is room for a scene after that of like Jasper and Alice and Bella in the hotel room. Like that's a Ye- scene that I would have loved. And I know we get like a very brief moment with them but there could have been more i think i think it's, that's what i would add yeah it it is so short it is like it we we cut to them in the in the hotel um 
And we really only get like one, we get like an establishing shot showing that they're back in Phoenix, right? Um, of like a Mesa. And then, and then it just cuts to them in the hotel. And I think the first scene with them in the hotel is Alice having the vision. She goes like, oh no, he's figured out it's a, it's a trick. And then she like draws the ballet studio. It's like the one scene we get. And it's just, I, I, I gotta say, this movie is two hours long. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, like, I could have sworn when the credits hit that it was a tight ninety. Like, yeah, I, yep. It it is it is a very brisk film. Um, and I I I I think that you could have added I don't know five minutes maybe to to this this section to sort of build a little more tension and and spend a little more time with these characters because like alice and jasper really don't get much time in this film um which is too bad because i i think that their scenes with bella in the hotel are some of my favorite stuff in the book um and and this this is like i think where it fumbles the hardest and it it just really really moves too quickly through the tracker stuff Mm mm-hmm yeah, I agree um, with that. And I rarely want to add things to movies. Yeah, right. I mean, like, it is, th- this movie is still an incredibly impressive truncation of a very long book, right? Like, <laughs> like, like, very, very smart cuts, but it's just like, I just, just put a couple more minutes in here to, to make this not feel so rapid fire at the very end. Um, on the other hand, it does mean that we get a longer, um final encounter with uh with the tracker in the ballet studio um even if we the sort of like path to get there is a little fast right mm-hmm. um we get like uh uh a uh, a much more drawn out scene of him menacing bella we get an actual fight between him and edward yeah oh, this- sick yeah, this stuff, this stuff for for as for as wobbly maybe as as like the setup for this is the 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 way that the ballet studio stuff plays out is so fucking good. Like I <laughs> I was cheering during all this stuff. They get a cool fight. Yeah, it's fucking awesome. Um, like they they get like a they get like a full on just like using their Dragon Ball Z vampire powers on each other fight. There's that cool move where like you think the fight's over. But then James like jumps into Edward and like throws both of them into the glass, right? Mm-hmm. Like, ooh, there's some crunchy stuff that's really fun. There's some scary stuff in here for a for a movie like this. Like, there's yeah. just a full on shot of him like purposefully breaking her leg, and it's gross. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, he stomps on her. My favorite part in that moment is is when in in that part where it like looks like James is one, right? There's there's a scene where a shot where he um he walks over to her to do that. And he, he, I don't know if, if you notice this, he just like full on steps on the broken glass. Uh. Like, like he just like, doesn't care. Like he's just, he's just like stepping on into the broken glass that she's laying in. It's like, Ooh, this guy, this guy is twisted. Right. Like, yeah. Um, it, that's a really cool little, little detail. Um, but, but them having just like a real, like knuckle down drag out fight here is is such a welcome change from the book like where where he just kicks him and he i don't know dies off screen i i was i was delighted by this and really 
way, it's still faithful to the book. Like, he does die off screen, and it is Jasper and Emmett and Alice doing it, right? But it's like, it's like Edward wins the fight and then, like, has them finish him off, right? Because he's got better things to do. Well, he has the most important thing to do, which is to suck out the venom, right? right. And I think the way this is set up is very interesting, because Carlisle is there and notices she's been bitten, and he's like, Edward, the venom is is spreading, and, like... You see Alice notice this, and she, like, does, like, a little, like, uh, oh, I think I have COVID moment, right? Where she, like, she, she like, suddenly gets, like, a little, like, ooh, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna eat this lady, like, thing, and she, like, has to remove herself and call Edward over, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that is a really great, I mean, like, that, that's kind of how it went in the book, but just seeing it, like, she does this, like, like almost smile when she sees it and then catches herself and is like, Oh, I gotta go. Like mm-hmm. this is bad for me. Um, but the, the thing that I found very interesting about this setup is that, so first of all, Edward has not been, has not had his like out, you know, pre book redemption arc with Carlisle, as far as we know. Mm-hmm. And Carlisle sends Alice over to Emmett and Jasper to like kill the tracker. And there's this very interesting moment that I, I, I wrote down where Ed, so Edward is the one who has to suck the venom out of her. And the movie plays it in this way where it's like, ooh, is he going to be able to do it? Is, is he going to go too far on accident? Right. And Carlisle is there sort of giving Edward this pep talk. And he and like when he realizes that Edward is like maybe in too deep, he goes like he, he goes like, come on, you, you, you can do this. You can stop this. This isn't who you are. And I kind of wondered, because it's it's interspersed with these scenes of, like, Carlisle and Edward looking intensely at each other while he's sucking down on, on Bella's arm. And in the background, there's just, like, this, like, bacchanal happening. Right. <laughs> where, where Alice, like, jumps on James and, like, t- fucking twists his head off. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> it's so cool. Um... But she just like violently like rips his head off, and then there's like these these cuts to them like dancing around his burning body and like laughing, mm-hmm. and they're like just like like full on like like just monster mode back there. Yep. And it's another. It's like an interesting layer to the family dynamic that I'm curious if this was like an intentional new wrinkle they added to the characterization, where it's like, is is this like Carlisle? Are the other vampires, like, has he tried this with them? You know what I mean? Right. Like, because the way he, like, pleads with Edward, it, it it and the way that it, like, sort of separates Edward from the pack in the background who are just, like, dancing around this burning body, right? <laughs> it's like, is Ed, does, is there this sort of relationship between Carlisle and Edward in this where, like, Edward his, is his, like, his golden boy, you know? Right, right. That that he that is like the one that has not has not given in before, right? I I just just a really interesting wrinkle to the dynamic, right? And and because we haven't seen their prior relationship to this, it like it just adds a lot more tension into a scene that really had none in the book. Yeah, I mean, especially because we have already like. Uh, like hearkening back to the line of like foster dad slash matchmaker, right? And then he has mm-hmm. this like brood of vampire children that are all paired up. 
And like Edward is the one that maybe has the way out, the golden boy, right? Yeah, yeah. It was a really interesting, just just framing it, the difference between them. Like, I, I wouldn't say that it's like, oh, Carlisle is like disappointed in his other children, but it feels like it seems like it's like, like Edward is, represents something different to him, right? The, just in the way that he just like sends the others off to do like a brutal murder, but doesn't let Edward do it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I yeah, I just found that very very interesting characterization, yeah, um, for both of them. Um, and uh, but but other other than that, this is all this is all straight from the book. Um, uh, Edward Edward successfully. Or restrains himself from sucking out all her blood. She wakes up in the hospital. Edward's been been there, uh, uh, asleep, uh, watching over her the whole time. And we get a little bit of um, Renee, which is a very very fun scene. Great performance. Yeah, the, the first thing you see of her is this like first person shot of her looking directly at the camera with this sort of fisheye lens, and you're just like, whoa! Like, <laughs> um, she just has like this big kind of fake smile on she's very fun um we get a few scenes with her on the phone earlier it's like kind of scattered throughout the movie but i don't think they characterize her as well as this scene does i totally forgot about those scenes (laughs) right exactly i think the thing that stuck out the most about those scenes is that bella holds her phone like l from death note yep yep (laughs) um but uh uh you know, so so Renee is there, and it's sort of like you get this like sad, like like the same sort of sad portrait of the family dynamic that you do in the books, where like she mostly just wants to talk about herself. There's there's even a part where she's like, "Oh, we were so worried," uh, and 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 like Bella's like, "You're looking at your phone, <laughs> like you're, <like> you're texting <laughs> right now or something," um, which is a great a great little bit. Um, uh, but then finally, we move to the most important thing in the movie, I think, mm-hmm. which is, of course, the prom, which has a big change. She knows she's going to fucking prom now. Wow. Wonderful. <laughs> Was it the prom dress that gave it away? <laughs> Was it the prom dress and the tux that gave it away, Bella? <laughs> Smart change. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. As much as I enjoyed being faked out by that in the last chapter of the book, I think that this is a very reasonable change. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, we 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 get pretty much the full the full prom scene here. They uh, um, uh, she we we get like one last reunion with all with all of the buds from school, which is really fun. We got like Tyler trying to dance with Edward. We've got like er- Eric. T- oh, Eric's DJing. Eric's yeah, DJing yeah. the party. Um, and then we see Angela and Mike together. So we we sort of get this like oh like the the story was like like their their story was just kind of continuing. You know like mm-hmm. like uh, off screen during the they movie. They were having and we get- a teen movie over there. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. They're, they're, like Bella opted out of being in the teen movie and went to the vampire movie instead. <laughs> but the key scene in this film, I think, is this this vi- last ending scene where like they leave the dance floor and they go to the gazebo for the slow dance. And um, while an original Iron and Wine song written specifically for the film <laughs> plays, which is a crazy thing to think about. 
they sort of have the conversation where where Bella asks to become a vampire, and Edward responds by giving honestly for for as wobbly as his performance has been through this whole movie, I think their moment together here where she's expecting to be bitten and he's just kissing her neck mm-hmm. is really good. Yeah, um, it's it's pretty good. They stuck the landing. Yeah, like like and and arguably like the most important scene, right? Um uh I I really like this moment and then and 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 there is just such a there is a really brutal um exchange that I think is sort of like smoothed from like the book dialogue which is um uh Bella says if you would let the venom spread I would be just like you by now which is a a a, a real really interesting line mm-hmm. um and then Edward you know after that 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 kiss where Edward um like kind of leans back up and is like you know isn't isn't this enough and she's just like completely deadpans just like yeah like really really dark and then we get the as the movie closes and we sort of like zoom out from this like romantic dance that is kind of ended with sort of a fizzle here honestly yeah um uh bella delivers a line in the book comes way earlier which is which is where she says uh neither of us was going to give in tonight and then there's sort of a pause and she goes i'm not going to give up i know what i want (laughs) Which is so fucking good. Like, yeah. How many times in this book did we both joke, oh, Bella knows what she wants. Yep. And they just put it in the movie. They just fucking put the line in the movie. Mm-hmm. I, I was losing my shit at this point. We made this movie. We, that is really, honestly, like, if, like, it was fun uh, like, coming up with ideas to fix Harry Potter when we were reading those, right? Mm-hmm. But seeing seeing a Twilight movie that feels like it was made on like the exact same wavelength we were on the whole time, really special, I think. Yeah, yeah. I um I I I, I am curious about the very last shot of this film, which is like after after she says that, we sort of get this like dramatic zoom out to Rosalie watching them and looking pissed off. I think it's Victoria, isn't it? Is it Victoria? Oh, that makes a lot more sense. I was like, okay, because she has her hair back, I think. Right, yeah. Uh, um, okay, it being Victoria makes way more sense. I was sequel, like, well, perhaps? Yeah, sequel hook with, yeah, Victoria's still out there. Okay, okay. I thought it was Rosalie, and I was like, why is, I mean, like, I know she doesn't like Bella, but why is she pissed off? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I just, I, I, I had a fucking great time with this movie. It, it it just really hit on everything that I enjoyed from the book and peppered in so many fun little little changes to like fix stuff that I, I hated in the novel <laughs> that it, it was just like very gratifying to watch, honestly. Yeah, I mean, my takeaway from the movie is that like for anyone, like I think you could just skip the book. Mm-hmm. I think the book like gets you on the hook a little bit. I'm not even saying the book is that bad, but. Just watch the movie. Yeah. Yeah. The the movie really just does amplify everything that's like good in, in the book and and really has a minimum of the worst stuff from it. Um, mm-hmm. um 
and, and just, just like 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 so many little fixes here and there. Um, I I think it fleshes out a bunch of characters. I think it makes some really really refreshing casting decisions uh, and like acting decisions, uh, story decisions. Right, just like everything here is so meticulous and and. It's definitely having some fun at its own expense. It's definitely corny, and I think it is trying to be corny in a lot of places. But crucially, it doesn't feel mocking. It feels like something that only someone, like, invested could could make, right? Yeah. Like, you look at who the Twilight fandom is now, and, like, the jokes that they share, and the sort of, like collective understanding about how corny it is that everyone has right Mm -hmm. it feels like the perfect movie for that audience uh and i and i think that that's maybe why it has like endured as this sort of like cult movie right like like everyone kind of loves the twilight movie the baseball scene is endured there's so many quotable lines like it's 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 prequel memes level quotable right which is Mm -hmm. just like like you know i it, it, it 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 it's a sign i think that 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 this movie made smart decisions in adapting the book. Yeah. I, I just had a really, really good time with it. Probably the best, one of the best times I've had watching a movie on this show. Oh, yeah. I, I think it's number one for me. I had a great time with it. You think it's above Azkaban? Yep. I think it was, <laughs> yeah. I think so. Yeah. It's, Maybe not. I, th- I still don't know if it's a better movie, but did I have more fun with it? Yeah, absolutely. Totally. For, a, for a book that, like, had such a clunky middle and and end i think this movie does a great job of just making something that is just like very very watchable and like that's silly that's like a silly word but like i i mean that like 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 i said earlier the movie's two hours long and it felt like an hour and a half to me Mm -hmm. like it goes down real smooth (laughs) um and it just it just doesn't have really outside of just like like the the intentionally like like weird stuff like the score and the editing and some of the some of the like the bad performances um there's nothing that just like makes it harder to swallow right like it's just it just it it's just a nice refreshing glass of movie really yeah that's that's a good way of putting it it is um a very fun time it's it's one that I will rewatch for fun, you know, which I will never do with any of the Harry Potter movies outside of maybe Azkaban, right? Right. Like, yeah. Uh, it is. It is a. Uh, it is just a fun, fun two-hour romance movie that has some like some quotable cheese and some fun action and some uh, great, great music. music, great yeah. fucking music. <laughs> What's up with that? It's so, it is, it is a real, like, both the score and the selected music, I think, is just delightful. I mean, like, the score has, has all the great Carter Burwell stuff, um, but then, like, we've got, like, what, two Paramore songs? We've got a Linkin Park song in the credits. Yep, yep. The, uh, the, oh, we've got the Iron and Wine song, we've got a Radiohead song, we've got fucking the song during the, I, I forget, the, the Eyes on Fire song. Mm-hmm. There's just so much here. And honestly, I would love, I would watch a documentary on, like, how that all came together, right? Like, mm-hmm. how did they afford that? Summit is, like, not 
the biggest budget movie studio, right? Like getting Lincoln Park and Paramore just feels like such a big get for this for this film. Stephanie Meyer must have just been over the moon for this, right? Yeah, that's something that's very interesting. Um, we don't have time to really dig into it now, but maybe on like a future episode just for fun. Stephanie Meyer's blog just has everything from before and after, like leading up to the first film, just like completely archived. Hmm. Um, like, like talking about the casting, like there's that very funny thing you found about like choosing Edward. Right. And like, we know that like, she wanted like Henry Cavill. Um, we, we've got, uh, 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 her like wishing that Gerard way could do it, but he, but she's ruled out anyone who isn't a professional actor. Right. Like they're just really cute stuff like that. Yeah. She talks about her own, her own book. Like she is a fan of the book, which is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I would love to spend some time digging through there and maybe like see if there's anything about the soundtrack and like yeah. in, uh, and whatnot in there. Um, there's also I, I I hope I hope that she appreciated the movie overall because I I think that there is so much in here that just like so few authors get this for their work I think mm-hmm. um this level of of dedication to the original thing getting going out of their way to like get all the stuff on the soundtrack that she puts on her playlists right like we've got we got a we got a muse song front and yeah. center in this. <laughs> We got a new Iron and White song. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and oh, also she gets like a spoken speaking cameo in the film too. Mm-hmm. There's the diner scene where the waitress is like, "Here's your like, here's your veggie platter, Stephanie," and she's like, "Thanks," and she's like writing on her laptop. Yeah. It, 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 like it just this this movie really feels like it cared about Twilight. Uh, and, and I hope that I, I'll have to dig through these, these, these blog posts, but like there was one that I found from the premiere, which is before the movie came out that starts with her saying like, well, it wasn't perfect, but and I was like, whoa, <laughs> That's Stephanie. Stephanie, come on. <laughs> it's got a new song in it. It's, it, yeah, it's the movie made for her. <laughs> it feels like anyway. God, yeah, just looking at the soundtrack here. Muse, The Black Ghosts, Mute Math, Collective Soul, Blue Foundation, Iron and Wine, two Paramore songs, Linkin Park. Three Paramore songs on the soundtrack album, actually. Wow. Um, an acoustic version of one of them. Uh, and, uh, oh, and uh, Robert Pattinson. The, the, I guess they included the Robert Pattinson piano solo on wow. the soundtrack. Pretty good. Here's a fun fact, because uh, because Robert Pattinson is is like a musician, I guess, and uh, uh, anyone anyone listening who's a Death Grips fan, he plays guitar on the album Government Plates, which is a very funny thing to think about. Huh. But yeah, no, I uh, I would I'd love to dig through some of the blog stuff because similar to what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode, she is very forthcoming about everything on her blog. Yeah, yeah, and I would. Be very curious to know what she uh, what she thought of the process. Any closing thoughts for the film? Any anything that that I that we missed? Uh, you want to talk about? I don't think so. Should we take it to the close then? Yeah, let's do it. All right, our theme song is "Hot McGonagall" by Cheshire Moon. Huge thanks to them as always for letting us use it as our theme song. You can catch them on 
Bandcamp, and you can find us at patreon.com slash streetcast. And Liz, what are we reading next week? Nothing. Nothing. We're taking a break. Uh, we, we have finished the monumental task of reading Twilight and Midnight Sun. The longest book of all time. <laughs> the longest book of all time. It sure fucking felt that way. <laughs> um, so we will be uh, taking a little break and then getting back to you with what's next. So... You have a plenty of time to please read another book. Please read another book. There's a lady in there, makes ocean roll seem tame. Better know what you're after if you catch a eye. Cause this hot mama is just a cat in disguise.